Welcome to Dungeons and Dialogue. I'm your host, Matthew. And I'm your co-host, Nolan. So today, I believe we're going to be discussing character creation and optimization. Yes. So you tell me what's going on here, because let's be honest, I'm the murder hobo in this group. Nobody likes murder hobos. Murder hobos are disgusting, and um, they should be murdered. They should experience what they force onto other people. But going from town to town and killing stuff is fun. It sounds fun. I mean, it can be, as long as you don't get caught. <laughs> so just sneak check, dude. Mm. Stealth checks. Stealth checks can only take you so far. They don't fire. work well against dragons. What about fire? What about if it, like, you just set off fire? Fire, fire if it's not working, then you aren't using enough. So, just get a uh, pyromaniac just... wizard on your group and... That's so yeah, character creation. Um, there's a lot of character combinations that work and a lot of character combinations that don't. Um, but in reality, you can make anything work. So I, I have somebody who wants to make an elvish barbarian. Don't ask how that works. That's cool, dude. <laughs> I mean, it but should, like... it should technically work, but. But like, will the elf be really buff or something? I have no idea. I, I, I don't the know if he's. Elves are really buff. You could theoretically make a dexterity-based barbarian, but that just doesn't work well with what barbarians do. Yeah, plus there's a barbarian more of a rogue. Yeah, plus elves are more magical creatures. Yeah, that... They don't really like run into battle swinging a massive battle axe. That sounds pretty cool though. Just, just imagine like you're walking through a forest and suddenly out of the trees just drops this elf that with like arms like 10 inches around <laughs> just like slams you in the face with a massive club. That sounds like something out of a cosplay convention. I'm like 99% sure somebody's done that. Yeah. I can... Somebody's probably done that at some point. So I have a question. How do you decide the stats? Because I've heard of stuff called a raise and dice rolling. Oh, so there are two different ways that you can get stats. There's point by and rolling. So point by is you have a certain number of points. I can't remember the number off the top of my head, but... Um, you have a certain number of points, and then you spend those points to buy stats. So you can buy anywhere from, like, a 1 in something to a 15. Okay. Um, per personally, I prefer rolling, because statistically it gives you a higher chance of getting better stats. Um, plus it also adds an element of randomness to the game. Um, so the way I do it, and the way most people do it from what I've seen, is you roll 4d6, you drop the lowest of the numbers. So say you roll a 5, a 3, a 2, and a 5. You would, you would drop the 2 and add the other 3 together, and then that would be your base stat. Now, all races get stat bonuses. So if you had, say, a 15 in strength, and you have a race that gives you a plus to strength bonus, you would have a 17 in strength. So how do these like stats affect like rolls and stuff, like stealth checks and strength checks? So each stat has various roles associated with it. So strength is mainly 
uh, melee attacks, like swinging a battle axe, um, swinging a great sword. Yes, grappling also. Grappling, when you try to grapple somebody, you uh, make contested strength checks. If you succeed, then you grapple them, but if they succeed, then you don't. Um, uh, strength can also be used to like lift heavy things, and it also affects your carrying capacity. But most DMs I've talked to don't worry about that sort of thing. Um, there's also dexterity. So dexterity is your agility. So that affects your um, acrobatics, like how you can flip through the air. It's also used for ranged attacks. So like bow shots, throwing weapons, stuff like that. But it can also be used for weapons with the property finesse. So all weapons have properties, and one of those properties is finesse. And finesse allows you to either use dexterity or strength for your attacks. Okay. And then constitution affects your health. That's really all it affects. But you can also... So when you level up in D&D, your health goes up by a random number, which you determine by rolling your hit dice. Which is, which is based off of your class. Um, and whenever you level up, you add your constitution modifier. So say you have a plus three to constitution and you roll a five for your health at level two, you would add a total of eight. So what's that plus three mean? How does like, how does, like your stats determine like those modifiers? So the way stats work is that you have your stat and then you have a modifier. Your stat is usually a big number, and your modifier is usually much lower, because the way you determine the modifier is you subtract 10 from your stat, and then you divide it by two and round down. So a 16 and a 17 both have a plus three modifier, and an 18 and a 19 have plus four. The maximum stat you can have is a 20 without using magical items, and the bonus for a 20 is a plus five. Okay. Now, if you go below a 10, then like if you have a 9, you would have a minus 1, meaning you would have a penalty to those checks. Okay. Um, beyond constitution, there is intelligence, um, which is how book smart you are. Um, and that can affect... That's not really a huge thing for non-spellcasting classes, specifically non-wizards. Most of the other spellcasting classes use either Wisdom or Charisma, which I'm getting to. Um, so Intelligence is typically a dump stat, which is basically the worthless stat, which is where you put your lowest score. So if you roll an 8, you put it into your dump stat. Why, why would Intelligence be that then? Because it's not really used for that much of important things. Like, it's used for investigation, but there's... You only really investigate if you're trying to solve a mystery or search for loot, which is important, but at the same time, your allies can do that just as easily as you can, so okay. usually you have in a rogue or a wizard do that, because they usually have the um, higher intelligence. Okay. And then wisdom is wisdom. There's not really a good way to describe that. And that's the... Um, one of the primary spellcasting ability uh, stats. So, um, so wisdom is used for a lot of different classes, like druid and cleric, 
Um, guess more classes use charisma. So yeah, wisdom also affects um, your perception, which is like how aware of the world you are. Um, but it's also like a buff to your magic, isn't it? Uh, it's not really a buff to your magic as much as it determines how strong your magic is in the first place. Okay. So I'll get to spells after I finish the stats. So charisma is how charismatic you are. So um, bards typically use this a lot because bar bards tend to uh, seduce everything within earshot, um, or at least try to, because that's what bards do. Um, and so charisma is really horny all the time then. It can be, yeah, yeah. Uh, I've pl I've played with many bards that have done nothing but seduce everything. Pardon for the interruption. That was a thing. Um. So. So yeah, charisma, it also affects like persuasion skills and deception and things like that. Um, and it's also used by classes like uh, Bard, Paladin, and Sorcerer for their spellcasting modifier. It's also used for Warlock. Um, so yeah, those are the six stats. Um, then you also have, in from subsets of stats, you have skills. And those skills are based off of your stats. So, perception, persuasion, stealth, animal handling, things like that are all okay. skills. And you can have what's called proficiency in those skills. And those, your proficiency bonus is determined by your level. So, if you're level one, it's a plus two. And I think it goes up when you reach level five to a plus three, and it goes up every few levels. So, the maximum proficiency bonus is a plus 6. So, what's the max level then? Max level is 20. You can go beyond that, but you don't get any uh, class skills, you just get more health. Okay. I've heard that, um, what's it? That proficiency are also related to uh, your actual class, right? Yes. Um, it's also related to your backstory. So, your class determines, gives you, when you're making a character, your class gives you a list of proficiencies to choose from. So,. Barbarian has like intimidation, athletics, things like that. Um, whereas a wizard has arcana and history. And you choose usually like two or three of those. Um, rogues choose four, and bards choose any of the three skills, any three skills on the list. Um, you also have your backstory, which also determines some of your proficiencies. So, if you're an outlander, for instance, which is basically an extreme version of a hermit, um, you get survival and medicine, I believe. Actually, no. Might be nature, but I think it's survival and medicine. Um, but, so these uh, also give you proficiencies. Um, on top of what you get from your class. So usually what I tend to do is I choose my backstory first, so I don't have overlapping proficiencies. Um, yeah. And then... There's also this thing that bards and rogues have called expertise. 
and what expertise is, is you double your proficiency bonus to that skill. Okay. So say you're a level 3 rogue, which has a proficiency bonus of plus 2, and you decide to put expertise into stealth, and you have like an 18 for dexterity, you would have your plus 4 from stealth being a dexterity skill, and then you would have plus 4 from doubling your proficiency bonus, so you would have a plus 8. Okay. So, what are some warning signs or like archetypes of characters that like are something that you should watch out for from characters? Like, these typically are warning signs. Like, the character is either um, it's all about me character, a min maxer, or just your regular murder hobo. So, it all determines. It's all dependent on how your character, on how you the player plays the character. Okay. So. They can play it as a murder hobo. They can play it as a min-maxer. They can do anything like that. Um, and as a DM, you just kind of have to learn how to work around those things. Okay. So if they're a murder hobo, you get them caught and thrown in jail and have... you. As a DM, your job is to give both rewards and consequences. Okay. So if your characters do something bad, they're going to suffer the consequences for it. But if they do something good, they get rewarded. So if they, say, kill a super powerful dragon that's been terrorizing cities, then they're rewarded by uh, the dragon's treasure. But if they kill a dragon that has been protecting a city, then they earn that city's ire, meaning that they'll probably be attacked and thrown in jail and things like that. So what's like a good base backstory for someone who's just started them? Well, it depends on what you choose to be your background. So there's a list of backgrounds that you can choose from. And they usually are dependent on your class. So a wizard is likely to be a sage background, whereas a bard would be an entertainer background, and a barbarian would be an outlander background, things like that. Um, and basing it off of that is what, um, determines your backstory. So, if you have a soldier background, then obviously in your backstory you'd be involved in some kind of war, you might have a permanent injury because of said war, um, if you're a sage, you might have books and books of research, or notes, or things like that. Or if you're a hermit, you could have um, books on medicines that you've discovered and um, things you've meditated on and things like that. Okay. So this should be our last subject. What about spells? Like I've heard about cantrips and like fifth level spells and stuff like that. What do those mean? So spells are complicated. As if you're a first time player, I would not recommend playing a spellcaster because there are a lot of nuances to spellcasting that can be very confusing to first-time players. I had one guy who decided to be a wizard for his first character, and he didn't know what the heck he was doing. Um, was that Ethan? No, it was Nathan. Um, so, <laughs> there, so spells have 10 different levels. They have cantrips, and then 1st, 2nd, 3rd, 4th, 5th, 6th, 7th, 8th, and ninth level spells. So cantrips are spells you can cast 
whenever, as long as you have the right components for it. So, let me back up for a sec. Components are what allow you to cast a spell. So most spells require what's called verbal and somatic components. So verbal components are spoken words. So if you're trying to cast a fire spell, you might have to say firebolt or things like that. Um, somatic components are motions. So say to cast firebolt, you'd have to say firebolt and point at what you want to burn. Okay. Um, and some spells require material components. And material components are materials that are needed to cast a spell. So I think... Um, Would one example for a material component, spell that require material component, be summonings? Summonings, yes. Uh, there is a fifth level spell called Summon Greater Demon, where you need to have um, a vial of blood of a creature killed within the last 24 hours. And then the somatic component of that spell is to create a circle, a summoning circle, out of that blood. And then the verbal, or the uh, voice component, is um, to uh, speak the invocation which summons the demon. Um, so the spell's levels determine basically how strong they are. Okay. So cantrips are usually typically very weak, so doing like 1d12 at most damage. Like Arcane Bolt, right? Um, the one I was thinking of was Toll the Dead, and that does at most uh, 1d12. However, there are a lot of uh, cantrips, like Toll the Dead, that increase in power as you level up. So at 5th level, 11th level, and 17th, I believe, your some cantrips increase in power. So usually they increase the damage by one dice. So at fifth level, Toll the Dead would instead of doing 1d8 or 1d12, would do 2d8 or 2d12. Um, and then first level spells are typically on the weaker end of spells, but when you get into the actual levels, so first, second, so on and so forth, uh, you have spell slots which is how many of those spells you can cast between long rests. So long rests restore both your health and your spell slots. Okay. So if you have, say, three first level spell slots, you can cast three first level spells before you can't anymore and you have to take a long rest. And there are a lot of spells that can be cast at higher level, and most of these spells increase with power at those higher levels. So if you have three first level spells and two uh, second level spell slots, um, and you're out of first level spell slots, you can cast a first level spell at a second level. So say uh, your spell does uh, 1d10 damage at a first level, it might do 2d10 at a second level. Okay. And it increases in power with each level, with 9th level being the most powerful, and there are spells in the 9th level. There's one called Power Word Kill, which if the target creature has less than 100 health, then they're dead. Just no rolling? No rolling, they're dead. So it's an instant kill to anything with less than 100 health. In addition to that, there, um, you have your spellcasting ability, which is either Wisdom, Intelligence, or Charisma. 
and you have your spell save DC, which is what, uh, if they need to make a saving throw, um, they make it against your spell save DC. And your spell save DC is 8 plus your proficiency plus your spellcasting ability modifier. So say you have a plus 3 to your spellcasting ability modifier and a plus 3 proficiency bonus, then you would have a total of 14 for your uh, spell save DC. And you also have your spell attack bonus, which is uh, what you use if you're attacking with a spell. So like firebolts, you have to roll to attack with that. So again, if you have plus three uh, modifier and plus three proficiency, then you have a plus six to your attack bonus. And there's one spell that most DMs never use called Wish. And Wish essentially breaks the game. You can have it imitate any spell of 8th level or lower at the 9th level. Or you can have it do basically anything, but there is a 1 in 3 chance that you will never be able to cast a spell again. So, for instance, I one time um, in a campaign I was playing in, I was playing a paladin, which never gets to fifth or gets to ninth level spells um and one of our characters had just died and as we were exploring after she had died we found a crystal and when i touched it i gained one charge of the wish spell so i used that wish spell to revive her however i can never use the wish spell again because i got that one in three chance okay so even if i got another charge i would not be able to use it okay so essentially, which does, um, it can cast a random spell. Well, a chosen spell. It's a not chosen spell below, below a certain level. Eighth level or below. Or it can cast a ninth level spell for a one three chance. No. So. No, I wish so, cannot replicate ninth level spells. What it does is that it can make something happen. So okay. some of the examples used in the player's handbook are like making a lot of money just appear out of nowhere. Okay, so Wish, if you want to do a certain effect rather than a spell, has that one in three Yes, chance. yes, okay. and as a, if you decide to replicate a spell, it does not have that, but it cannot re- replicate a ninth level spell. Okay. However, you can make the effect replicate a ninth level spell. So in a sense it can, but you can't like Wish a boss out of existence, for instance. Okay. Most DMs will not let you do that. If they, even if they did, they'd probably just say, okay, cool, you wish the boss out of existence, but now all, all the treasure is gone too. Yeah, yeah, there's going to be a penalty for that. Alright, well, I think we're done for today. Alright. I hope you enjoyed listening to Dungeons and Dialogue with Matthew and Nolan. Have a good day, y'all. See you next time.